Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Adam Pranica. I'm your other host, Benjamin R. Harrison. Adam, we had our little cliffhanger of our own on the last episode. Oh? I told you I would look into whatever happened to that weird gun my dad found. Yes! And uh, like I'm I per- so glad we're we're actually doing the callback here. This is unlike us to <laughs> Un- actually yeah. follow through. Uncharacteristic callback. Um, <laughs> I called my father up, and as I predicted, the answer to the mystery is not particularly satisfying. But I thought it was worth relating because it was unsatisfying in a very, in a very like dad kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pretty dadcore conclusion. So at the time, my father's an architect, and at the time he was working on a county jail project and was working at the jail uh, on this project. So he actually like knew a sheriff and was like, hey, I found a gun, and like told him <laughs> about it and asked, like, oh, do you think like it would shoot or like what do you think about this gun and the guy knew knew like enough to know that like uh, it probably wouldn't shoot without some elbow grease but uh but he was like i'd love to take a look at the thing see if you have anything special it sounds like it's a pretty regular like officer's gun from the army a while ago type of mm-hmm. deal where there's like a mm-hmm. million of them and it's not worth anything but mm-hmm. love to take a look and then uh it never happened because they couldn't figure out a way for my dad to take the gun to work and have it be okay. <laughs> he couldn't. He couldn't. Like he, he couldn't just put it in a briefcase, right? No, because it's a jail, so it's a big problem. And then, like, he was like, I could, I couldn't even take it like onto the site in my car, and there's no parking around there, so we just gave up after a while. Wow. <laughs> that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> So where did it go then? Did he did he just throw it off of a bridge then? Uh I think it is in the back of a closet somewhere. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty fun that I mean at least So at presumably least you're a little sure it's in his possession. Yeah. Presumably someday I will inherit this gun and then I will have no idea what the fuck to do with it also (laughs) yeah i mean it seems more and more there uh you can take a gun anywhere these days (laughs) uh, (laughs) yeah but uh wow those those salad days where you couldn't just bring a gun into a jail yeah wow and like did you talk at all about the money or anything or was this pure this is purely gun talk i was mainly curious about the gun did you think at all about recording the conversation with your dad? Uh, Would that have made good pod? No, not particularly. I also made the classic East Coast calling West Coast mistake of calling him at like 11 a.m. my time, and he was like, what? He's like waking up out of sleep. Oh, no. <laughs> That's how you want to be woken up, by your son asking about a gun you haven't thought about in a long time. <laughs> 
<laughs> was he alarmed at any point that you were asking about it? Uh, you've met my father, Adam. Uh, the man... I, I don't... He seems unflappable to me in the greatest a very, way. A very even keel. Almost, Have you ever seen uh, him flapped? No, it's funny. Like, my mom will sometimes talk about something that's got him really excited or something that's got him really upset, and I just, like, look off into the distance and try and picture <laughs> that and... <laughs> Like, I'm sure that internally he may be excited or upset, but, you know, like, outwardly he's just, like, walking around in a weird hat and dad shoes. <laughs> that's great. That's that's the kind of dad you want right there. Steady yeah. dad. Yeah. Steady as he goes. Top-tier dad. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm really glad that you followed up on that story. I can't imagine how many other stories are just out there dangling. <laughs> <laughs> waiting for us to conclude them that we don't even know about or don't recall. Yeah, yeah, or care. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> uh, much like the episode that we'll be discussing today, hard to tell if many people cared about the cliffhanger at play here. <laughs> yeah. Today's episode is the beginning of season six. Did you ever think we'd make it this far, Ben? No, every kind day's... of amazing. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was just a joke originally that the two of us were making a Star Trek podcast and hoping people wouldn't listen. And now, here we are. We stand astride season six. Feels like just a month ago we were but a glimmer in your father's eye. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it, Ben. It's season six, episode one, Time Zero, part two. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. I'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. Adam, this episode starts with uh, my least favorite character from the last episode talking to a reporter, it's Mark Twain. I, I've decided that Mark Twain in this two-parter is my least favorite impression I've ever heard or seen. <laughs> it's so bad. Um, it, what's what's so bad is like you and I love doing impressions. Yeah. I have no interest in doing this Twain. <laughs> oh, no. it, it it is like anti funny to me. Yeah, it's not anti comedy. It's anti funny. Yeah, yeah. So he is telling this reporter about this is like as low as the last episode stooped. Maybe this <laughs> is the lowest this this two parter gets. It's depicting Mark Twain. Walking down the streets of San Francisco with a newspaper reporter, telling him his theory about how time travelers from the future are here in, I guess, like the late 1800s, and they're here to, like, fuck shit up. And As soon as I have the necessary evidence, I intend to expose them. Mark Twain is going to blow the story wide open. If you recall correctly, Ben, all the way back to Season 5, Episode 26, Time Zero Part 1... <laughs> Mark Twain was caught eavesdropping on Guinan and Data. Tommy. That's a tape thing. And I guess, like, got away with it? Like, like they saw him listen to their conversation, and they did nothing to dispute what he heard or anything. (laughs) Tommy, 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 Tommy. Like, they just let him go. Data's having no problems lying in this this arc, so he should have just been like, like, Mark, we're talking about a book we're working on, you dope. If this were a Back to the Future movie, you would have 
hit him on the back of the head with a two by four and then like thrown him in the trunk of your car. Right. You can't let this lay the way they've done. Data especially has no comprehension of like time travel paradoxing. Yeah, but it's also just crazy that Twain's first act is go tell a newspaper reporter sans evidence. He's like planting the story and he's promising that he'll have evidence to prove it later. But it's like no newspaper reporter would Mm -hmm. take a call from, I don't know, like, who's a big novelist? Uh, Dean Koontz. (laughs) Yeah. Dean Koontz calls up newspaper reporter. (laughs) Uh, uh, or, or like maybe Hodgman is a good a good comparison, like a sure, like a a humorist, both of the written word and and uh, and a comedian who goes up on stage. Like if yeah. if John Hodgman called up like Adam Nagorny from the New York Times with a a big whopper of a story, like there are time travelers here from the future to fuck shit up for everyone. Like they don't print that, they don't take that meeting. It's such a, like, a writer's room fever dream, this concept. Yeah, and it made me feel bad about Mark Twain. Like, I didn't know he was such a snitch. Yeah, he doesn't have a stitch on him. I have a feeling Data doesn't dole out stitches. He doles out (laughs) ripping you limb from limb. (laughs) You have to suspend basically every shred of disbelief you have to go along with this. Yeah. Twain seems a little bent on doling out some Mark Twain-style justice, too. He's really worked up on this. Yeah. And he's embarking on his own sort of investigation in a way that, I don't know, was he was he particularly <laughs> sleuthy in his time? Was he known for this? <laughs> I don't know. He's sort of Ben Matlocking around. They are not welcome here. Yeah. The thing he was known for was being a legendary wit, and he's so unwitty as written. It's like, I don't know, like, I had a friend in film school who uh, made a a film based on the Marx Brothers, and he wrote a ton of great, like, Marx Brothers-style jokes for it. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was amazing, because it wouldn't have worked if there weren't lots of Marx Brothery jokes in there. And <laughs> this Twain comes off as so flat because it's so un-Mark Twainy. Well, I mean, the counterpoint to all of this criticism, Ben, is like, can't you just have a fun sci-fi Star Trek episode? And to you, I ask, Ben, is this fun? Because <laughs> this episode feels like a mud bath to me. Yeah. A mud bath with edible cups, Adam. Yeah, indeed. Well, we catch up with the entrepreneur crew. All of the senior staffers that don't have loaf have transported themselves back in time and unlike data have seemed to have no problem getting you know period appropriate clothing and you know renting out an apartment and like (laughs) rikers in drag as a cop we're missing the awful stereotypical native american and the rich guy losing at (laughs) poker so bad over and over and over again they're like what the fuck is going on in this poker game can we stop inviting strangers to play with us this is terrible i guess their cover is that they're a band of traveling shakespeareans oh which we get because there's a delightful performance by a uh, old lady land landlord who wants wants them to pay up Maybe they shouldn't have spent all their money on that period wardrobe. Like, 
Captain, you're still the captain in 1800 San Francisco. Why don't you make a budget? <laughs> like you've got to you've got to maintain a reputation, right? Like their next landlord isn't going to want to rent to them if they can't provide references. Plenty of apartments, I mean, aren't going to rent to eight roommates either. Yeah. And they go for a fully furnished eight-room apartment, which is, <laughs> that's spendy right there. God, could you imagine just sharing that single 1893 bathroom with <laughs> Beverly and Jordy and <laughs> Riker and Picard, like all of them? Mm. Can you imagine how much toothpaste Jordy puts on the mirror? <laughs> you know it's going everywhere. <laughs> Jordy's got to wipe the seat after, too. Jesus Christ, Jordy. Jordy. <laughs> Yeah. He's pissing in the tub. It's a bigger target. Riker's doing his uh, his bedsheet laundry like every other day. <laughs> it's what he's accustomed to. Yeah, but that but that uh that washing machine is always occupied. How interested is Riker in the brothel in this town? Probably <laughs> very very interested. Why don't we get that sea story? I don't know. That's and this is uh, this is bringing us back to our point, like as Star Trek as a place, you know, there is a lot of fun stuff to do in 1890s San Francisco, Ben. Yeah. But instead, we're doing Shakespeare again. Yeah. You know, like we've we we've done Shakespeare. We sure have, Adam. Why not have a guy fall into a covered wagon full of hay? That's fun. <laughs> See that happen. And then he spits some hay out and says, "I hate hay." Yeah. <laughs> I hate it. So they work out that the evil aliens are stealing bioenergy from people and using the cover of a cholera epidemic to hide the spike in deaths that they're causing. I mean, here's here's the problem with this plan, Adam. (laughs) It makes... Some amount of sense if you have to steal human bodies from a very particular moment in history where it might have gone noticed that lots of people are dying. But they're time travelers. Why can't they just like travel back to the Paleolithic and find a band of hunter-gatherers, kill all of them, and then move on to the next band? You could, you could make the reason for being there go from making zero sense to making 100% sense by changing only a couple words in that explanation, which is which is they need human bodies who have been infected with cholera. Right. In order to like in order to achieve their nourishment. Like that's all it needs to be, but instead to use cholera as a cover for what they're doing and they're taking perfectly healthy bodies or whatever, like what if no cholera sense. was an alien invented disease and they sent that back first? Yeah. That would yeah. be that would be such an awesome plot line. Yeah, they look at that guy in the writer's room and they're like, go get us some fucking coffee. <laughs> Shut up. Take my punch card. I want to yeah. get the free one next time. Yeah. There's a long scene where Mark Twain pays off the bellboy to get into Data's fancy hotel room. I wouldn't do this for just anyone, Mr. Clemens. And it's revealed that the bellboy is, in fact, a young Jack London... Which is a, it's treated like a big reveal, like a, like, oh man, cool. But it's like, it comes off as so flat. And 
It's also hard to believe that this bellboy would fuck Data over as big as he does because Data has been paying him very richly to like do favors around town. Like when the guy got tipped by Data in the last episode, he basically couldn't believe how much money Data gave him. Yeah. He's like a he's like a guy that's handing out hundos. Is this canonical London? <laughs> I kind of feel like this is kind of retconned into the character. Like maybe they yeah. they wrote the character for the last episode and they're like, what if that guy turned out to be Jack London in this episode? I don't know. It, it's it's a weird choice for sure. Like what if the bellboy was like, like had more of an axe to grind with Data, like, like Data really didn't understand the tipping thing and so the, the bellboy is like much more apt to fuck him over? Yeah, it's almost better if he's just an anonymous bellboy. Yeah. But instead, we got a wink at the camera. This scene is where Twain explains, you know, a little bit further. Like, he he has this idea that he is going to, like, because he's the only person that knows that there are future people around, he's protecting their time. He's protecting the present from the future. And, like, given the information Twain has, he's not exactly wrong to want to do this. Like, he, he doesn't know about the evil aliens that are stealing souls he's he's just concerned for his time period and i thought that was like that was all right that's a point of view that makes sense i guess (laughs) (laughs) well little charity for the episode so uh he's like still poking around in there and guinan and data come back and they're like plotting and scheming and data notices that his his magical MacGuffin machine has been tampered with. The transceiver assembly has been removed. Without it, I will be unable to track the time shifts. And uh, they discover Twain hiding in the closet with a stolen part off of it. Did they ever, like, really explain what this MacGuffin was for? It was my understanding that it detected the bursts that the time travelers left. Oh, yeah, right. It, like, draws a little squiggly line on a roll of paper if there's a a time travel happening. Not unlike earthquake technology, yeah. I thought like there'd be a little on the drum head, there'd be a squiggle, <laughs> and then he'd go out and find it. A Richter scale of time travel. Yeah, I like it. I guess it's no bop it, Ben. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a uh, you know like the sad, the sad version of the bop it that you can create <laughs> with late eighteen hundreds parts and a phaser. You could argue that bop it's always sad. <laughs> that's not I, a fun game i had to watch so many videos of people doing bop it on youtube <laughs> to edit the last episode <laughs> that's that's one of those great uh 10 to 1 snl sketches too did you see that one no. in your research <laughs> the bop it uh always wants to be jerked like so <laughs> so you'd so you'd play the bop it at a party and then like the guy the guy would play bop it and he'd play it like normal but then you'd hand it to the hot girl at the party and the bop it would always ask to be jerked <laughs> Riker would not be into that bop it no no so the entrepreneur crew show up at a cholera ward in a hospital and uh I guess uh, Picard is like affixing a evil alien detector to one of the lights. Replacing the burners. City ordinance. Kind of gets told to clear out by a doctor. Um, Beverly is in in drag as a period-appropriate nurse. 
but she's doing a lot of like surreptitious tricordering. I feel like not a lot is made of of how much surreptitious tricordering Beverly mm. has done over the course of the series. Like she's always got a little like uh, secret secret scanner going. She can hide a lot of tricorders in those frills. Yeah. A frilly dress really yeah. hides a lot. There, there is mad pleading in this time and place. Ben, would you have accepted a third part to this story if it meant bulking up, you know, how a bunch of stuff happened here? Because to me, like, the Enterprise crew is running around with all this gear, these parts that they've either created or purchased. Mm -hmm. Like, I want a few scenes of how they got all this stuff. Where Where did Picard get the little flashy light? Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, how did they how did they get into the hospital ward? Like all that all that fun, like intelligence gathering, like spycraft of like talking your way past people. You only get one scene with that happening. Well, it's it's like one of the greatest things about the voyage home. Like that scene in the hospital where they're like running around and McCoy yeah. just, is just like horrified at every turn. Like they could have had some some fun and games like that. I mean, not necessarily doing it in the hospital and warming over something that's already been done, but like, but yeah, there's no there's no fish out of water stuff at all. Yeah, that's what's missing. And like, if you're don't be afraid of being derivative. Like, this is <laughs> yeah. a different time and a different crew. Right. It's okay. I mean, it's the same city and the crew comes from the same ship but (laughs) (laughs) sure (laughs) to me the the most fun part about time travel are those misunderstandings yeah it makes the back to the future franchise so fun totally but without the misunderstanding you've just got a crew doing science and spycraft in a place that they're not familiar with so you sacrifice all that right the evil aliens are in there in that hospital room and they like do a little little phaser fighting the police come in they've got a They've got a split, and uh, when they do, Data comes around the corner with, like, a horse-drawn buggy, and, uh, like, Data has detected that they're there in in time and has, like, come to save the day, and uh, it's it's great. He's like, he's like the wheel man that they didn't realize they needed. Yeah, like the horse-drawn bank robbery situation, and this, he's got, like, a team of horses. Yeah. And he's sort of skidding around a corner. It looks great. It's it's the high point of the episode for me. Yeah. It does uh, force you to look at a bunch of wide shots of the Universal Studios backlot, but <laughs> other than that, it's pretty fun. It's a well enough shot, you know? I wonder how horses interact with data. Like, like have you heard of this form of therapy that involves horses where if if you're going... If you're going through some shit, it's good for you to be around horses because horses have a preternatural ability to, like, see through your own lie. Like, they, <laughs> they, can, they can detect, like, this is not a joke. They can detect your intention, whether or not you're declaring that intention or not. So, like, they'll have you walk horses across fields or, like, ride horses and stuff and, like, be around horses because... To the degree that you can communicate clearly and honestly, like that, that's a way to get sort of a mental breakthrough into like whatever's blocking you. Are you saying horses would be awesome at poker, Adam? 
I am saying that, but I'm also wondering like what sort of read a horse would get off of data if <laughs> if horses have like this mental acuity to like see through your bullshit. Yeah. I wonder if he would scare the shit out of those horses. Would it be like me walking my dog around during Halloween and my dog barks at all the like displays people have put out in front of their houses? Yeah. It would be like you walking your dog around on a combination of Halloween and 4th of July. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> That's no Freaky. joke. Yeah. It is the guiding principle of a dog baby face. Have you got find it within yourself to stand up, tell the truth? You don't deserve to wear that uniform. So they've, uh, they've reunited with Data. <laughs> they mostly find Data to get money. <laughs> yeah. Data, she's going to kick us out of our apartment. <laughs> <laughs> could I could I have a low to zero interest loan, please? Yeah, Data's not a loan a loan shark, you know. He's he's gonna, he's willing to give a fair rate of interest on on any loan. Yeah. Uh, there's that bad Midsummer Night's Dream scene. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like that Jordy has the book upside down. That was a fun little sight gag. Yeah, they do some fun stuff with Jordy's visor and yeah. glasses and going back and forth between them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got he's got to like he's got to go incognito when uh, when there's normals around. So he he sticks the visor in his coat pocket and puts on like blind man sunglasses that have convenient little ornamentation around the red glowing <laughs> pips on the sides of his head. <laughs> Yeah, they look a little snap glasses-y. <laughs> Who do you think looks the best in period gear? I think it's Jordy. He looks fucking great. Jordy always looks good when they put him in a suit. I mean, yeah. Picard looks very at home in this clothing. Like, Picard looks like, this is what I wear when I'm not captaining. And I'm not wearing a deep V to go to sleep. Which police officer did they murder to give that uniform to Riker? <laughs> I know! There's so much that goes untold here. It fits him great. Yeah. It's one of yeah, my favorite is... things in uh, in movie and television is when somebody steals somebody else's clothes. It's always like magically a perfect tailoring job. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Riker's hair is just varnished down into like a deep part. Yeah. He's good hair great. in this episode. Yeah. Very good. Um, so they go check out the cave with Data and they're like... All right, so this cave has like been specially set up to allow the aliens to come back through it, and uh, and so like like this is the the site of our problem. We need to like close the portal, but also get back to our time. And Twain comes down the stairs, and he's got a gun, and it's that gun that they discover in the first episode. I suspect that even time travelers are vulnerable to the Colt 45. He's got your dad's gun. He's pretty sure it'll fire. Yeah, and he didn't have any problems driving onto the uh, onto the site parking lot. He gets so close to Data here. I kept expecting Data to just bend the barrel into a pretzel. Yeah, but we know for a fact that it doesn't get bent into a pretzel because we've seen it already. 500 years later. It's true. But, like, why doesn't Data incapacitate him? I have to feel like Data wants to be captured by him. (laughs) The ease with which Twain could have been knocked out at any point along this entire journey 
is uh, is hard to overstate. Like he is such a he's such a minimal threat to them, and yet they just kind of allow him to be. I feel like they try to give him a little bit of that Moriarty juice, <laughs> like turning him into like some sort of threat to them. Yeah, but he never is. He's just sort of bumbling. <laughs> Like, why do they let him get one up over on him? I don't get it. Because they need to waste enough time for the evil Davidian aliens to come and jack the snake cane back, uh, which, you know, starts off a tussle, Mm -hmm. and Data then steals the cane, his head pops off, and a time portal opens up. And everybody, including Twain, minus Guinan and Picard, run through the run through the hole. This is another moment to interject, Ben. That give us a th- give us a third episode because as soon as they get through that time portal, like I want to see the Enterprise has been saucer separated. Worf is just trying his damnest to figure out a problem up there. Like, it's paradoxes aplenty for for Worf. Like, his mind is just completely melting with what's happening around him. I want to see him working with the D-Squad on the bridge, trying to triage the situation. Yeah. Like, there's a ton of shit to go over here, but they return to the ship and everything's cool. Yeah. Worf, like- Worf doesn't even regard them. Like, there's not even the transfer of of command back to Riker when he returns. We didn't even get that scene. I would have just loved to hear Worf when they get into the into the cave on the other side on the radio going, oh, thank fuck, you guys have been gone for a day. We had no idea what happened. Yeah, and we also don't get uh, how much time has passed, right? Like, it's right. not instantaneous. It's not. That would it's have been also, interesting to know. Like, this is one of those things with time travel scripts where it's like, you know, there's a lot of, like, hand-waving to get you to ignore that. But, yeah. like... Like, is it real time? Like, have, have they spent several days away? Or is it, like, instantaneous? Uh, they never address that. Yeah, and uh, they have a little bit of a stowaway in this, in this portal, don't they, Ben? Wouldn't it be fun if Mark Twain went to the future? I think so. <laughs> uh, I don't need to see that. <laughs> it's like Hall of Presidents. That's the effect that we get. Yeah. With, when Mark Twain's walking around the Enterprise D. <laughs> For some reason, Troy offers to be his tour guide O future, and uh, she changes back out of her uh, her hockey pads and into regular Troy costume. Did you notice how tan Marina Sirtis is all of a sudden? Really nice, like, post-vacation maple syrup tan. Yeah, she definitely went on, like, a cruise over her summer break. She got married over the break. That's what I read. Oh, really? Yeah. Married in a honeymoon. That'll get you nice and tan. She has a rock-solid tan. Yeah. Nice tan. I'm, I, was, I had some tan envy. Yeah. Tell you that much. Do you tan much, Adam? Um, well, I, I've got to burn to tan, Ben. That's yeah. sort of the process. Yeah. So, otherwise, Same-sies. I remain pretty fair. Yeah, it's like, I have to sign up for cancer in order to not look gross. <laughs> uh, sign here, please. And we'll, we'll give you a few of these melanoma, and then, uh, and then we'll give you some nice, nice brown sugar. Yeah. 
seems worth it. Every summer it seems like, well, one more melanoma is not going to hurt. Yeah. Oh, hey, you know, Ben, while we're talking about updates to callbacks, you get that chest thing dealt with? No. And I'm going... uh, When this episode comes out, I will be in Africa and... uh, we are recording a bunch of these before my trip, and I like am really annoyed at myself that I didn't get it dealt with before I went to several developing countries where there's lots of possibilities of getting infections. Mm. I'm a I'm a big time idiot, Adam. I think is uh, the lesson of the day. My love is a All right, back to the show. We just cut out several. Minutes of really inappropriate humor. <laughs> so they've got a body of datas from that, you know, from more or less recently, and then mm-hmm. the head that has been rotting away in the cave. And so Jordy's like, "Well, I guess we could like try putting them back together." And so there's a uh, there's a scene where like Troy takes takes Mark Twain into the android lab. Where uh, Jordy is like poking away on Data's head, and uh, they're getting ready to to like nuke the site from orbit. Fucking a, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of a tough choice, but they don't have any way of getting the captain back from the time period that he's in, and they're like, they're not sure that they have any choice but to nuke the site from orbit to stop the uh, the bad aliens from stealing past people. Did it bother you at all that the threat was never made explicit about about this whole thing? Like, it seemed like the sample size was so small that they were, like, doing these trips to the past. They were gathering a couple of souls, coming back with them, and then injecting them into the heads. Yeah. But, like, but no one ever comes out and says, they are going to kill everyone on Earth if we let them keep doing this, and that's why we need to stop them. Are you saying it, you don't care about the lives of the homeless, Adam? course i care about the lives of the homeless then <laughs> but you're just, uh, you're just you're just up for wharf like acceptable losses well i think my problem rather than what losses are acceptable or not is just how how total the threat is yeah and no one seems to state the size of that threat in yeah, a way they, that, that could be deemed acceptable or not if they had if they had given a scale to the threat yeah. I mean, yeah. it's what they do in First Contact, right? They have, like, a view of the Earth that has been Borgified over a hundred years briefly right. before they go through the the time portal. We neither see the Borgified Earth or the disappearing people from the photograph. We see no, like, paradoxical evidence. Yeah. That's a problem, Adam. It is. It's a big-time problem. That sucks. You know what doesn't suck is uh, like one of the evil aliens is still down in the in the cave and like she explains to Picard like if you if you guys try and nuke the site from orbit it's just going to make it stronger. Your weapons will only amplify the time distortion, and uh, you'll really have egg on your face. And so Picard has the genius idea of sending a message through the data head to the future. <laughs> yeah, I I thought this was like one. One great idea in a script full of terrible ideas. This felt really loopery to me. Like yeah. in that scene where where that guy's being tortured and he looked down he looks down on his arm and scar tissue is like spelling shit out to him. Yeah. Like 
It, it was really well done, I thought. Good thinking by beef stew. <laughs> Tasty. Tasty thinking beef stew. So uh, so Jordy's like jiggling the head on this on this neck trying to get it jump started. And he's getting these he's getting these messages from uh from Captain McCard. And I guess the messages are like punched into Data's memory. Yeah. And like there's like a little he st- he stuck like an iron filing in between the battery and the contact so that it wouldn't it wouldn't connect over the over the years. Data manages to to spit out the idea that that they cannot fire photon torpedoes at the site. It is imperative that we do not. I will explain later. That would be very bad. He does a- another like one of now dozens and dozens of examples of Data saying, "Don't do the thing you're about to do. I'll n- explain later." <laughs> and Riker never thought he'd have a second shot at Picard. But he's ready to take it. Yeah. Like, how many times has he fired on Picard or attempted to fire on him in an attempt to kill him? I think he's getting more and more comfortable with the idea. Yeah. It's a reflex now. Mm-hmm. They've got to get Picard back through the gate. And they're like, well, we can only send one person back. And Data's ready to jump back through the gate. He loves it. Yeah. He's ready to bop his way through it. <laughs> Samuel Clemens, who has uh, who has bridge credentials at this point... <laughs> It's like, uh, you know what? I have the perfect solution for you. The plan should actually be for me to go back. And remain there so your captain can return here. Because I don't like it around here. He Clemens has been kind of getting schooled on how much better the future is than the past. Yeah. Very surprised to learn that the Enterprise crew don't have hordes of impoverished people to thank for their life of luxury. Um, Good job by Clemens also to not ask about his bank balance or anything. (laughs) That's usually the first thing that uh, 19th and 20th century people want to know about. Well, and given given what a terrible investor Clemens is, yeah, like you'd think you would think he would want to know. Like, did I ever make a good bet? (laughs) He's bankrupt enough to buy the ship. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so they send him back. um, Gets Picard. Picard expresses how much he regrets not getting to hang out with Mark Twain more. Well, you just have to read my books. What I am is pretty much there. <laughs> Finally, Picard radios up and he's like, hey, I'm back. You guys can come get me. As torpedoes are, are in the air, though. Yeah, yeah. One the, of those, the birds one are of those in the last air. last second <laughs> transports. Yeah. And uh, I guess the last scene is uh, Twain deciding to leave his pocket watch behind in the cave and uh they're like there's some like ambulance boys taking Guinan out of there because i guess we kind of glossed over this but she got injured when data stole the cane and made the time portal open back up yeah her contribution to the plot ended about 30 minutes ago right but it's clear that she's sticking around that timeline and she is who everyone thinks she is the ambulance boys do not seem to notice that there's a severed data head on the ground about five feet from where they are. Yeah, and in showing that, we are reminded that data forevermore is walking around with a 500-year-old head. Right, his is head like is unregarded. Aged, aged way way past the rest of his body. You'd think there'd be like a tan line around his neck or something, you know? <laughs> That'd be kind of fun. A little bit of dino damage here and there on the... Yeah. Yeah. His hair just never quite right ever again. 
<laughs> and here's the thing, like, so they swapped heads. This is this might be a little paradoxical, Ben, but like there is a data head back on Earth now, still, right? Right. They did the swap. There's now a second data head. Can can data not touch that old head? Can Maddox perform any? Uh, yeah, they should call any up experiments the, uh, on it. Give like, a call up to the Daystrom Institute and see if Maddox wants a uh, hot tip on a on a fresh data head. It seems extremely valuable. Yeah. Not only that, it, like this whole thing gives me a lot of respect for Doctor Soong. Like that head. <laughs> That's built to last. Yeah, it really is. And I think Data's got to feel good about it too. Like his body can really put up with some shit over the long term. <laughs> Indeed, Adam. I'm glad Dr. Soong sprung for the rust protection. Mm-hmm. It really holds up. I am the cutest of all. There are four lights. We didn't talk a lot about Guinan in this episode, but she's... I mean, like, this is the episode where you get to see Picard meeting Guinan for the first time. Yeah. She's in it a bunch, and I just felt like she wound up being treated like a potted plant. Like, she doesn't get to, like, move the plot much. She doesn't... Like, the meeting between her and Picard isn't momentous other than just, like, we have heard about it happening before. It's a, it's really just like, oh, hey, what's up? Do you know me? Yeah, kind of. Do I know you? Not yet. All right, bye. It's hard to know what the stakes are when no one ever talks about what the stakes are <laughs> with her. Like, yeah. if, she's, if she's the Yoda of the series that we're sort of making her out to be, that we're supposed to understand that she is... And yet there's no supporting argument for that. (laughs) There's so little of it. Like, I wanted there to be so much more gravity to that moment. Yeah. But but the the gravity is the sliding doors gravity of, like, an an opportunity that might be missed and two people who might not be able to ever know each other. Like, those are the stakes, and those are large stakes. But I wanted a little bit more out of it than that. Me too, dude. And, you know, the button on the episode is Picard going into 10 forward and seeing her again, wordlessly. And, you know, there's like an expression of of gratitude or satisfaction at having preserved the timeline that, that preserves their relationship. Yep. But, man, even one line of dialogue out of Guinan or Picard could have given us another book's worth of backstory on them. And it made me wonder, like, is it because the writers don't know? Like, are they not saying it because they don't know? Or are they just withholding it, knowing that they're planning on giving us more later that they, and they just never do it? It's like, it's writing that lacks conviction. Yeah. It's lost writing is what it felt like. Like, Guinan is the polar bear of the series right now. And we're just... We're sort of chipping away at the explanation for why she's there. Right. And, and we think as a viewer we're going to get a payoff that never comes. Yeah. Did you like this episode, Ben? Uh, nah, not really. <laughs> I mean, it's not terrible. There's, like, some good parts. It's not, a, it's not an armus. I keep going back to the need for a third episode. Like, less is so much less here, and more is so much more. Yeah, and also it would have been a fucking mind blower to get another to be continued. <laughs> like, how long is this gonna go? Yeah, 
it really would have benefited from a little longer runway. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like either either make collapse it and make it a one ep arc and like yeah. be like efficient and exciting and and fun or like like get into it and don't and don't paper over all of the all of the holes, you know? Like have yeah. a have the have the courage of of like like really like establishing some new shit about Guinan and Picard. Yeah, I mean, especially because I mean, what's the break for, right? I've got to assume that you had some time to to put into breaking the second part of the story. Right. I mean, like who's who's the main character of this of this story? Like who do we identify with? Cuz I think that like you could make the case that Mark Twain is the only one that really has an arc of any kind. Yeah. And like he repents for, you know, being so suspicious of people from the future. But like who cares? If that was like the writer's headcanoning some interesting thing that changed about Twain's writing, you know, like you know, that would be cool as fuck, you know. But there's there's no like legendary thing about Twain that that plays into. It's just like, uh, well, I guess we don't really have a protagonist, so we'll put this here. I can't recall a bottle episode where Guinan is the center of it, outside of the one where they turn into kids. So what if you what if you rebroke this two part story from the perspective of Guinan? Yeah, like you sh- you open the show in eighteen ninety San Francisco. Right. What she's the hell getting, is Guinan doing there? That's she's getting weird. up a, a clipper ship and yeah. Yeah, you you have the Titanic opening, you know, to Guinan's arrival in the <laughs> New World. You follow her to San Francisco. She's sitting in on these salons with Mark Twain. Suddenly, Data shows up like ten minutes in, and then you go to theme song, and then Data's explaining his presence there. Like, and then you slowly introduce more Enterprise crew people into that story. Like. That- you could really dose the story in an interesting way only by changing the the main character's perspective. Right. And and like it it would have so much more emotional impact for the viewer because this is about Guinan meeting Picard for the first time and we know right. them to be these great friends and like and like there is something about, you know, meeting a great friend for the first time that is like mythical. Like our friendship, like I think about the first time we met all the time, you yeah. know. Yeah. Like it like that like that like spark that I was like I know that Adam and I are going to be friends after this yeah. for sure, you know. Yeah. And and there like mythologizing that is something that we do inherently and so like the specificity of of Guinan meeting Picard which is something that has been referred to before would be an amazing storyline. And instead it's like not really a storyline that anybody has a hat to hang on. And the moment where they meet is so, like, there's no weight to that at all. Yeah. Their their meet cute ended up being <laughs> totally flat. Bummer. Yep. Did you like this episode, Adam? I like the episode that we just wrote in our heads far more <laughs> than what we got. I would love to see that episode. Yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's what we do when we're done with TNG is like is like the rewrite, like like draft two. We start from the beginning, Ben. Yeah. We do every episode. The Next Generation rewrites. Yeah. Dang. That's heavy. No one would be interested in that. No. (laughs) 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 Got to know your audience. Yeah. Uh, That that sounds like it would require some research, too. (laughs) (laughs) That, uh, That ain't us.
Hey, uh, do we have anything on the old uh, P1 box, Ben? Yep, there are messages sent to us through an Android head from 500 years in the past, Adam, and they are coming in on subspace now. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Hey, Ben, our first priority one message is of a personal nature specifically requested for Time Zero Part 2. Ben, there's some uh, there's some Time Zero Part 2 fans. <laughs> Turns out. <laughs> You're out there. <laughs> it's from Phil. It's to John. It goes like this. To John from Phil. Oh, guys, you just, you just blew like 20 characters. <laughs> you don't have to include that in, in, the, mes- in the message body. All right. <laughs> to John from Phil, thank you for sharing my love of Star Trek and Whoopi. Yeah. Is that, a, is that a clipper ship? Also for doing the marriage thing with me and signing up for the next 0.68 seconds. We really love the show. Keep it up. It's a lot of fun. Oh, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I would like to retract the tongue-in-cheek Time Zero Part 2 fandom thing. I think there's an episode for every viewer. Yeah. And it just so happens that this one is for Phil and John. Maybe we should rewrite our episode that we just uh, <laughs> that we just recorded to make it more praising of yeah. Time Zero Part Two because Phil and John sound like really nice peeps. A celebration of a great marriage. Adam, we have another priority one message here. It's from Ken, Jeff, and Spencer, and it's to Matt and Chris, to our favorite twins, Matt and Chris. You are each the best of both worlds. We should get together soon in Shimoda Corner. And share some Belchertown water while we reminisce about our adventures with the hated Hoosnock, a.k.a. 450B. <laughs> if you are a pooge and do not enjoy, <laughs> enjoy your birthday in this manner, you should prepare to ex- experience beige. <laughs> I don't know what either of those words are. I oh hope boy. I didn't just say some, like, made-up epithet. <laughs> yeah, I'm not familiar with pooge or beige. It kind of sounds like something like, like. Let me try this again in a in a Picasso voice. If you're a pooge and you do not enjoy your birthday in this manner, Rudy, <laughs> you should prepare to experience bidge, Theo. <laughs> Normally, we're able to sort of contextually <laughs> figure out figure what anything this stuff is. Out. Yeah. yeah, this is really like picking up an episode of our show at this point in its run and trying to figure out what we're talking about. I'm Googling Belchertown water and uh, Belchertown mass. Oh, geez, I think we should, probably should have done this in the this old Enterprise voice. <laughs> now, when you install an, a new kitchen faucet, <laughs> you're going to want to include a water pressure regulating device. That way, your water bills. I, uh, yeah, I don't even know what. To, <laughs> I don't know much about plumbing, Ben. That's my point. We've we've connected these pipes to a manifold down in the basement that mixes hot and cold water, so it comes out the right temperature every single time. You turn your left valve in the pooch direction. <laughs> it gives you, it gives you hot water. You turn it in the beige. It gets you cold. Man. 
we we may have just offended <laughs> scores of people and not realized because we have no idea what we're talking about, Adam. <laughs> That's fun. We may have just initiated ourselves into some gang. <laughs> yeah, we're now Ewoks. Well, uh, if you have a a coded message, a birthday message, or a uh, a message that initiates Ben and I into some some uh, criminal organization we're unfamiliar with. Uh, doing that is easy, Ben. You go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Fill out a little form. Go ahead and just put the two in the from stuff and the two in the from line. That'll, <laughs> that'll free up some more characters yes. for your customized message. Yeah. Uh, personal messages are $100. Commercial messages are for 200 And they help with the ongoing production of our show. Hey, Ben. Uh, what's that, Adam? Were you able to connect your 500-year-old drunk to your modern-day Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! So my Shimoda in this episode is Chief O'Brien, because he is in this episode in name only. <laughs> when, uh, when they get word that Captain Picard is down in the alien cave uh, and the torpedoes are, are raining down from the sky... Riker, uh, Riker shouts to O'Brien to get him out of there, and I just thought it was so funny. Like, so it is so Chief O'Brien to be in an episode in name only. He didn't. He doesn't even reply. Like, oh, I kind of wonder. Like, does, does Colmini get like a twenty-five dollar check for <laughs> having his for name any uttered? References? Yeah. <laughs> well, that must. God, is that a thing? Because know. as many, many, many people told us, what's his name from the. Culvert Starburst episode shows up in Voyager and they wanted to they had to rename his character so they didn't have to pay the guy the writer of the episode right uh, the writer that like created the character yeah Yeah. so maybe maybe character references are a part of that yeah who knows uh Adam did you have a drunk Shimoda I did and I think we talked around this earlier but just Worf's lost days are something I can't help but think about like we may not see Worf struggle. We may not see Worf having a ton of fun or becoming supremely frustrated by his circumstances, but I know he's Shimoda, he's Shimoda-ing it <laughs> up there in orbit on board the Enterprise. Yeah. And I may only need headcanon to realize that, but <laughs> it's good enough for me. I couldn't find another suitable Shimoda. I love the idea that it just turned into, like, Lord of the Flies on the Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's he's coming up with all these new executive orders as Captain yeah. Worf. Yeah, and they're like, you can't do that, Captain. And he's, like, pushing people out airlocks to enforce it. <laughs> now fear rules the Enterprise. The, the food replicators only dispense gawk. Also, like, there's no cut back up to Guinan. Like, you'd think Guinan would be in the bean flicking room, like, tenting her fingers, like, hoping shit's going okay in the past. Yeah. And, like, what's happening to her? Like, is she phasing in and out as stuff's happening to her? Like, as she's meeting people or not? Where's that? Who knows, Adam? I don't know. Does season six, episode one, excite you about what's to come in season six? Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, All right. I guess we'll see. 
Angelad at Tanagra. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What's coming up on our next episode?
the next episode is season six, episode two, Realm of Fear. A young entrepreneur engineer is forced to confront his paralyzing fear of being transported. Do you remember this episode, Adam? This is the episode where uh, where Barkley sees the beans inside the the transporter beam, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know the app. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty hip to this app. It seems like one of the most rerun episodes. Whenever you like, yeah, you, when you, like you BBC change channels America. across, yeah, <laughs> it's it always on BBC America. Yeah, I don't hate this app. Yeah, I don't think I do either. I'd like to find out if I still do, though. <laughs> Maybe you and I can talk through our hate of it together. No, I'm saying I don't hate it. But what I'm saying is sometimes it takes a conversation with you. Oh, to, to like, realize, to get yeah. the hate on. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, so sounds like no veto. Not from me. Neither from me, Adam. So that will be our next ep. So let's spend some time now doing the part of the show that nobody ever listens to, but we do it anyways. We could We're, say anything right now, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> There's no more payoff left, uh, but we're here, still recording, and uh, I think the first thing I want to do is thank Dark Materia for our great theme song, and Adam Ragusia, who's always coming up with new music to for us to use on the show. Uh you should use the hashtag greatestgen on Twitter to discuss the program. And you can follow Adam at Cut for Time or me at Benjamin R. A H R. Hey, if you guys uh, if you guys get Max Fun Drive pins, why don't yeah. you show us that show us them pins? Yeah, tweet up those pins. Yeah. I wanna see them pins. That's what I'm saying. Um, use the uh, drunkshimoda at gmail.com box to send in your complaints. Use iTunes to send your five-star reviews. Use Reddit to go on the Reddit discussion group. And there's also a Facebook discussion group, both very lively communities. And uh, there's also a max fun of all of that stuff. And uh, those are great places to go hang as well. There, are, there is no shortage of places to compliment or complain about our fine program. Well, Adam, uh, I think we should probably uh, hang it up and regroup and come back next time with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, an episode of The Greatest Generation that's got, like, little puppety turd guys. <laughs> like, a, like a dismembered snuffleupagus nose. That one won't make the show, Ben. It's okay. <laughs> more and more of those, Adam. <laughs> Yeah, am I, have I started to horrify you with how like <laughs> how well, bad I've been getting? Don't act like you're so much better than me. <laughs> MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.